You're listening to Clouser on Business. Thanks for coming back. I'm Clouser, your host. Glad you're with us today. Our subject today is on trademarks. We've all seen the TM trademark sign designation on corporate names, logos, and their products. What does this mark represent? And what is the process to obtain a trademark? Are these trademarks perpetual? Can a company lose a trademark? Hey, well, I'm happy to have Aaron Cronin, an attorney from Portland, Oregon, with me today to help lead us through the ins and outs of trademarks. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Hi, Cloudster. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, uh, why don't you tell, your, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, explain uh, how you got into, the, uh, into practicing law. And I understand maybe there's a little bit of a film background in your history as well. Yes, I, uh, I've been battling two, two faces, one being law and one film production, and I finally come to the conclusion that only one is actually lucrative. <laughs> but which one do you like the most? <laughs> you know, actually, I've, I've come to really enjoy my law practice. I mean, it took quite a few years of me kind of fighting it, but I've, I've settled into the stuff that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. um, and one of those being trademarks, and so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you were you were doing something within the film industry, but you so you, you know, obviously we all have to earn a living, and uh, so. But what what was it that pushed you into law versus uh, say accounting or? Yeah, um, it's it's that I was very argumentative. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked to debate. My dad, I, anytime my parents were trying to like punish one of my siblings, I'd step into the fray and ar- argue on their behalf, and he was just like, "Who are you? You're not. You're not. You have no dog in this fight." you are not the lawyer and he's, they just called me the family lawyer and so um, that became part of it but then when I got to law school I realized that um, sort of like being a, a black belt in a martial arts the, the real gift is to know when not to fight and uh, it's actually made me less argumentative and more pleasant mm-hmm. I don't think it has that effect on most people be going to law school mm-hmm. I think it just makes you worse <laughs> Well, hey, be, uh, really glad to have you with us today. Hey, before we get into our topic, uh, just a reminder to our listeners that the Clouser on Business podcast is for information on entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for tax or legal advice. Uh, please contact your uh, own CPA or attorney for tax or legal counsel. But I would say if you want to contact Aaron after the podcast uh, on a professional basis, you're more than welcome to do that. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. Hey, well, uh, to the topic at hand, uh, Aaron, there's a lot of confusion or can be confusion in business and with the public as to what a trademark is and, you know, what the purpose of it is. So can you help straighten us out and sure. shed some light on that? It's probably easy to kind of take a look at trademark in, in the context of what it's not. And uh, so there's really basically four legs to the stool of intellectual property, <clears throat> just kind of nutshell. Uh, One being trade secrets, which is something that's not really protectable other than the fact that you keep it a secret. One being copyright protection, which is something that you write or create that's uh, it's a, an original work of authorship and it's protected in the in the in the actual expression in the way that it's created um, and then there's patents, which is protecting something that's novel uh, and a new way of doing something and then there's trademarks, which is none of those things, which is basically just identifying the goods, the source of a goods or service. So it's who's making or doing the thing that I'm buying as a consumer. Mm -hmm. So uh, from a corporate level, so what can be trademarked? 
you know, obviously includes maybe a name or a product? What what all can be trademarked? It's pretty broad, um, and you can really get into the weeds on it. They actually specifically allow for sounds to be trademarked. Um, I think our the, the the ding. I like to use the for example the ding at the end of the Southwest Airlines ad. Like that's pretty recognizable ding, which is interesting because it's also what might somebody might call a generic sound because it is associated with flying. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get into the weeds on that in a minute. But um, so sounds can be trademarked. Color. Um, there's a thing called trade dress, which actually allows for the design of like for there's a big case called for Windex, where the design of the bottle was actually trademarked, um, and they were able to protect it. Is that the uh, same say like with a Coca Cola bottle? I mean, yes. The, the sh- I mean, some of the shapes can be yes. Yeah. So when when it, when it, and and it's not something that is automatically protected, but mm-hmm. after time it gets what's called secondary meaning and it becomes protectable. Yeah. Uh, back on the ding on uh, Southwest Airlines, for instance. Now that's the obviously the sound that uh, what or tr- the traditional sound of the seatbelt sign or uh, on and off or whatever. But is it trademarkable because it's associated with the corporate Southwest, or I, or is it the combination of? the Southwest airline name that they can trademark that. The, the way that you end up doing it is it, it develops out of the gate. It's not trade. It's not protectable. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things that people use that are not protectable. Um, and then after time comes by and they become famous or well-known enough, they gain a secondary meaning and can have pr- trademark protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically if nobody challenges them or starts using it in that time frame, we're kind of, uh, They've they've sort of stolen it out of out of the, they've they've done the land grab and taken it out of use. Mm-hmm. So so what's the purpose of a trademark to a company versus to the benefit of the general public that a company has a trademark or a product has a trademark? Sure. Well, the the benefit to the company is is that it does easily identify you, and it sort of goes both ways. It's a two way street. So it identifies you to your clients. So if you're selling Widgets. Um, I'm sure you guys probably use widgets as an example. You want you want your traditional accounting widget. example. Yes. Yeah, well, the company builds widgets. So your widgets are really high quality. Uh, they're made it. They're made here in the states, and you want to that that brand that you've created of of uh, Klauser widgets to to when everyone sees the name Klauser, they're gonna uh, they're gonna know that those widgets are solid. Another company comes along and they start using the word Klauser. That's going to confuse people, and they're they're going to think that you made the widgets potentially, especially if you are, um, you know, a, a pretty well known brand. Mm-hmm. Um, we get into the weeds on uh, a little, little bit on on the the names. Surnames are kind of complicated and probably beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. But <laughs> can, can I ask interrupt you? Yeah. Sorry, for a question. So let's let's use that example of of Clouser, but my trademark is associated with probably a, a particular product within an industry. What if there's another Clouser that has a product? Right. So what what would you need to be careful about so there? The there there are industries that are considered related. Um, I got blindsided by one a couple years ago. Um, I had a client doing an energy drink, and um, we came out with a name, and it was totally clear in the in the. There's things called international classes of goods and service, and so there'll be like IC zero zero nine. I never memorize these; I always have to go back and look. But the um, you'll you'll do you do a registration within a specific class of goods and service, and you if you want to have broader protection in other classes, you have to register in 
other classes as well, and that's additional money. So we try to be pretty cost effective and figure mm-hmm. out which your core is. So I was only looking in this one class, and and we got just blindsided by the fact that there was another class that they considered overlapping of this, and I didn't even think to look at it, and uh, it was power bars. <laughs> it was like it was a, it was a nutrition bar, and they were like these are related. You know, if you see a drink that's got this name on it, they're going to think that the bars are also that, and so. I had to just eat my hat, and I took my lumps. I, I, when I do something like that, I always I just give them a new mark. Mm-hmm. I, I file a new mark. Yeah. So what's the uh, what's the benefit to the public uh, that a company does have a trademark? The public that's actually the primary benefit. Is what the the main thing is that um, the, the consumer should have knowledge by looking at the mark. Um, it's you know the original term is called maker's mark from England, and the idea was that you know who the source is because of the mark, and you can identify you know some it's a heuristic for for how good the quality is, uh, and then if somebody is using that mark, it's called passing off, and then we call it infringement. But they're trying to basically claim to the world that you know they're you. Um, that's that's an infringement case, and, and that's actually a, a tort where you can get sued for that. Just accidental infringement just means that you're creating confusion. You didn't mean to steal from me, but you're you're messing up my mark. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I own a business. Uh, when might I uh, consider establishing a trademark? I mean, what would uh, be the impetus behind me wanting to pursue that sure um well the the thing about a federal trademark as opposed to a, you can get a state trademark and it's protected under common law and there's often a state statute that protects it but just within that state but within that state okay uh, federal trademarks apply to um business services or goods that are being sold across state lines so it's a, the commerce clause and so it, it protects interstate um, commerce and so if you're not selling into other states, you don't need a trademark in the federal registry. Um, the time that, to really look at it, it really benefits companies that are selling goods all over the place. Uh, that's, that's a company that definitely should start like out of the gate looking at their trademark. Uh, if you're a service company and you maybe deal with two states, you probably don't need a federal trademark. Um, but if you're looking at expanding anytime soon and you can cross state lines, it's probably good to start figuring out because you're going to be committing to a brand mm-hmm. and you want, you're going to be spending money on that brand. You want to make sure that that road is cleared and you're not going to go crashing into somebody else's trademark in two years and find out you just wasted all that money. Mm-hmm. So, uh, can I just arbitrarily have something trademarked? I mean, are there, um, well, so you have to be using it. In, in they, they will only allow for there's two ways that you can file one is um, you prove that your use so you have to be actually using it in business uh, offering it for sale doing something with it um, otherwise you have to file what's called an intent to use which they do allow um, and that is basically you're saying I'm, I'm going to use this mark I have a good faith intention to use this mark in the near future and so you can file under that but you have to every six months you have to renew it and it's kind of a pain in the neck, and often people forget. And, mm-hmm. So uh, whenever possible, I try to prove that you're using it and get it up and running as quickly as possible. Well, which, uh, which leads me, what, how important is the use and the consistency of how I use my name, product, or whatever when I'm presenting it to the public? I mean, it's very important. That's, yeah. a, that's a key part. If they look at the samples of what you're, how you're using it, and if they don't, match up with what you're trying to register they're going to knock it out they're going to object to it 
uh, you definitely want to use it consistently. Use it like a trademark. There's very specific ways that you use trademarks. Um, here's an example. Uh, putting a, a logo on a T-shirt, on the front of the T-shirt, that's not considered trademark use. It's putting it on the label is considered trademark use or a little tiny patch on the on the like upper breast. That's considered a trademark use. Um, so it's other, otherwise it's just decorative. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, what what's the process of obtaining a trademark then? So let's just de- I've decided that I need to do this. So what's the process? So the first thing you want to do is is just verify that the the prior art or the existing marks are not going to bar you from getting your mark approved. So is anybody else using a mark that would be considered um, confusingly similar to your mark? And then there's a bunch of other hurdles you might have to cross. If you're using words that are descriptive or generic, I always use, for example, if you're making beer, you can't use the word beer in your trademark and expect to be able to protect it. So they make you disclaim that you don't claim any rights to the word beer other than how it's being used in your mark. So if it's Klauser beer, if Klauser is protected, Beer is not. Um, then we move on to the filing and basically proof. So we just have to get, usually it's just screenshots of, of your website and uh, putting that into the, the filing. And then um, I'm, it's just a bunch of data that has to be put in. And then, and then what typically happens is the um, office will push back on something. You get an office action in about six months, and the, then I have to respond to that. And that's usually where people that try to do it themselves get tripped up. Because it's kind of a complicated process. Mm-hmm. Um, most times, that's it. Uh, I push back. They say, okay. They approve it. The mark's up and live. It takes about a year, six months to a year, uh, to get the mark fully through. I see. Okay. So back to your example of the Clouser beer. So if I was going to trademark that, probably then what the public would see, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, if they seen the words Clouser beer, Clouser probably would have the trademark uh, designation after it. Or would the whole phrase be? It depends on how you filed it. You could get Clouser Beer in one swoop um, identified as a trademark. And, uh, and, and actually, the, there's a distinction between the TM and the Circle R. The TM says, I'm using this as a trademark. I haven't filed for a federal trademark. Hmm. But I want you to know that I'm using this as a trademark. The Circle R, it says, this is actually a registered trademark with the federal government, with yeah. the USPTO. Uh, sidebar, uh, What's the difference between a trademark and a service mark where you might see an SM? Um, they're virtually the same thing. Same thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, so I need to hire, uh, the, or the best thing would be for me to hire an attorney to help me with this process. So we, we gather what type of information before we file. I mean, what, what information uh, sure. is a part of the process? It's very important to know when the mark was first in use and to get that right, because if your mark's ever challenged, that's the first thing that is going to come out. And uh, the, the actual use, proving first use, there's, there's a thing called junior user and senior user. First person starts using it, regardless of when you actually filed, gives you some, some uh, room to, to uh, stop somebody else from using the mark, uh, at least locally. Mm-hmm. So that's... that's uh, I think I've lost track of the question. <laughs> well, the, well what, what all goes in? What data do you, oh, right. what, okay. what data do you collect uh, so, before you actually I mean, it's just, a lot of it's just um, administrative, like the, who, the, who the actual owner of the, of the mark is going to be. Is it the company? Is it the actual individual? Um, there's reasons you would do one way or the other. The, um, 
other things that go into it are, you know, proof of use, so samples of, of how the mark's actually being used uh, on labels, on marketing material, on the website, uh, on your signs, street signs, um, anything like business cards, that whole thing. Like, you only need like three or four, maybe five examples of how it's being used. Ideally, they need to be consistent. Uh, and then once we have that, uh, we start the filing process and the crafting of the um, the actual description of what what the service or good is is um, kind of critical at that point, and that's kind of one of the places where we have to really get focused and and, and be careful. Okay, so I so I filed. Now, how do I let other people in the public know that I've actually filed? And if I see something similar to what I filed sure. on, uh, because you know they're not going to know that I filed uh, necessarily, right? You start using the the circle R. And that lets anybody know that if they see that, that you've got a registered trademark, a federal, federally registered trademark. Um, and if you see somebody that's using your mark in a way that is potentially infringing, there's usually uh, the C&D letter, which is cease and desist, that says, hey, you're using a mark. We have a mark. You're using it illegally. Um, you need to stop. And depending on your size and depending on the size of the person you're up against, um, that's where potentially fisticuffs come out and litigation might begin yeah have you ever ever been involved in any of that or have yes. enough for one of your clients maybe to yeah pursue something yes i have um i've had to stand toe to i had a client um an overseas client that had marks here and we had to go toe-to-toe with one of the biggest um, computer uh, product manufacturers in the world um, and had they challenged our mark, and we got into a whole process. It was it's like litigation, but it's inside the, the trademark office. And uh, we got into discovery, which is the part where you trans. You know, I got to ask them for a bunch of documents, and and they blinked and they withdrew, which is fine because it means that their challenge unit, like when they withdrew it, they couldn't challenge it ever again. So they'd been stopped from challenging it. So I had a lot more leverage in negotiating with them at that point. So they gave up on the U.S. front, and now there's a fight in the EU at this moment, um, which I'm not really a part of at this moment. But, yeah. uh, and then also I've, I've had a similar situation, same mark, uh, with another major computer manufacturer, and they backed off. I said, this is our case, and they had really great in-house counsel, and they, they immediately said, okay, we'll stop using the mark. And I was like, this is one of my greatest wins. I, I just punched Goliath in the nose, and they, he was like, oh, no, sorry, <laughs> I'm going to go home. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Hey, so our uh, trademark uh, are they perpetual? I mean, if I, if I yeah, as long as you're using them, you you get to you got to keep renewing it. Uh, first, it's five years, and that's when your mark actually becomes it can't really be challenged anymore. Um, there's a uh, a presumption of of that it's viable, and then after and then ten years, you got to register it again. The odd thing is, it's way more expensive to renew the mark than it is to actually get it. Wow. Yeah, but can, but uh, can I can I lose that if I don't use it consistency or don't use it? Yes. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that? So if you just stop selling products and you sit on your hands and don't use the mark anymore, it it goes away. If you don't renew um, after five years, it it assumed to be abandoned and goes away. Uh, there are ways of trying to revive it. Um, what they're interested in is what your intent was, and so if you show intent. To abandon the mark, you're signaling to others, hey, it's okay to come in and use this mark, and they will basically hold you to that, and you've abandoned the mark. Um, it's, a, kinda, it, it's just like property rights. If you don't um, protect it or keep using it, you're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. What, what does the term trademark dilution mean? That's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, so 
to have a trademark that's diluted, you have to have a very famous mark, uh, something that everyone recognizes, for, like McDonald's. And so in most cases, you could do something in, in other classifications. Like if I was selling shoes, I could be like McDonald's shoes. But because McDonald's is so famous that the use of that word in any other category brings back to mind the, the, the main trademark. And so that famous trademark holder basically stops anybody from using the mark in, in any potentially um, conf- space where they're, they're diminishing or diluting the power of their brand. Mm-hmm. So that's a good example of it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you mentioned this a, a little bit earlier. Uh, one of the questions I had was, is the registration of federal versus a state uh, registration? So you mentioned that mm-hmm. you can register in a state. Yes. And I, I definitely would recommend doing that. By virtue of doing business in the state, to a large extent, you've got protection. Um, you have a common law right just by because you're doing business under a name. Um, but if you register with the state, that gives you a little bit broader protection because you're theoretically putting people on notice within the state that you've got this, this um, filing. And then um, if somebody were to file a mark federally, now that blankets all the states at one time. But the interesting thing is it really they're kind of blocked out of your state like you've you've already owned that state you're a senior user in the state and with within what's called the natural zone of expansion so if like you're a taco shack and you're like growing and growing like mm-hmm. and it would make sense that we could go into vancouver so potentially we can block them out of out of washington mm-hmm. um so it, it behooves anyone that's filing a national mark to go and do a search and and look for for local uses. Yeah. So, uh, what kind of international uh, registration should someone be aware of? International. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's some neat ways of, of uh, some treaties that we belong to that allow us to kind of blanket certain countries. And there's a there's a cost benefit analysis depending on what countries you want to be in. Uh, it's not quite as good a protection uh, from what I've seen. But you can you when you file in the U.S. you can base that application then on on and use the application to to leverage a, a, an application in other countries and the EU. Um, for for Asia, it's probably better to I hear that it's better to go local uh, to actually hire somebody to go just file it for you locally. Uh, but in the EU, you can kind of if you want to hit all of the EU countries, mm-hmm. um, there's probably one good filing you can do that is probably more cost effective than than. Uh, doing it country by country by country how difficult is it to defend uh an infringement uh, offshore versus here domestically their laws are completely different uh, the yeah. entire philosophy behind it is different um i i only know it through my client who's dealing with it now and in, in like a germany they're they're dealing with it so uh, it's it's not there's almost no alleg- <laughs> it's it's not very similar <laughs> yeah so uh, with the internet uh, being in play these days uh what do you? What do we need to look out for? Uh, I'm sure that the internet has got to have uh, caused some yeah. sort of. Uh, well, it's changed the game because by selling online, you've effectively you just eliminated state boundaries. So you're conceivably selling into any market, uh, which is good if you want to get a national mark. But then you've got to be smart about getting your mark right off the bat. Uh, one thing we didn't touch upon is what type of mark gets the most protection. And people want to be descriptive in the marks because it's easy to get SEO and, and have people land on your site when it's like, uh, you know, widgets, widgets, widgets. Mm-hmm. But 
if you were to come up with something fanciful, which is just an arbitrary name, um, for example, Xerox is probably one of the best examples. Uh, that name has one of the strongest, broadest protections because it's no one else can even use that name uh, since it's not a real word. Um, Green Zebra is another the local uh, grocery store here. I think is a, a fantastic name for a grocery store. It just has nothing to do with grocery store, mm-hmm. and so it's it is provided a lot of protection. Once you get that initial contact and 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 um, the consumer identifies that with grocery store, you're going to get all kinds of protection out of it, rather than calling it you know organic grocery store. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So and then uh, this is. Clouser's inquiring mind here, so bear with me. So, so you know, Coca, obviously Coca-Cola, for instance, has the scriptive Coca-Cola name, right? Mm-hmm. So that um, that's trademarked. Is there any other aspects of that uh, name or logo trademarked, like the color? I mean, do we do we trademark colors associated with a name or something like that? We do trademark colors. I haven't dealt with a case where the color. I haven't actually trademarked a color. Um, it's 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 an interesting scenario because um, there's only so many colors, and it's going to be very hard to not just completely lock it. Like seven people mm-hmm. can go out and get colors, and then everybody else is kind of hosed. Mm-hmm. Um, there are aspects of the 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 actual script of Coca-Cola. That style has some value to it. Um, they also do the block letter, just Coke. Right. So those are yeah. two separate trademarks. Um, when my clients are doing a mark and they want to do, ty- it's called typography, is like the way that the actual typeset is done. Mm-hmm. I usually discourage that, um, or even logos for that matter. When you're first getting your mark out, uh, I, you actually have a little bit broader protection just for the word. If you put some features on it, now you're only protecting the, like that word with those features. You're narrowing the scope of your protection, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what are the costs uh, associated with uh, filing for a trademark normally? I mean, they're, they're all over the place. So you start from one end. Um, years ago, uh, before the internet searches were really reliable, there was a, a service that you would spend $3,500 on, and that was in like the 90s dollars, uh, to go and run searches on all these databases and then come back with this big report, and then your lawyer would pour over it. Mm-hmm. And getting a mark was pretty expensive. Um, then on the flip side of that is the um, legal zoom uh, or other kind of like rattle off like they just give you enough rope to hang yourself because yeah. I get a lot of clients that, that they get in they file and then they come back to me and say hey I just got my office action I don't know what to do and I'm like well I, that would have been part of the price um, I kind of fall in the middle there are firms that send stuff to me because um, when I work with my clients I, they basically are willing to accept some risk in not diving super deep into the gutter to do the research and just kind of like let's just go for it i mean we know people you gotta you gotta there's a risk balance sure benefit analysis here and um i like to like where's the sweet spot of your biggest benefit here so we'll do i definitely do a pass i do a deep dive into the trademark filings um and then you know some internet searches but you know once you've done that let's just go for it because you're diminishing returns at that point usually that's enough um, and uh, by doing that, we kind of I, I help reduce some of that cost, the initial cost. The filings are not that expensive. It's uh, if we do it kind of their down and dirty way, which is this really kind of a canned language that we only have so much mm-hmm. language we can choose from. 
the filing fee is like two twenty five. Mm-hmm. They just brought it down actually, um, which is weird because like the renewal fee is like four hundred dollars. <laughs> so um, if we have to be more specific, um, I've, I've definitely I, I even ate the, the additional cost. I wanted to be more specific in the language. Uh, the filing fee is two seventy five, and this is all online. If yeah. you if you agree to automate it and use the email. Then, um, and the other cost might be just in the time it takes <laughs> gathering the data that's required uh, to put into the filing. Maybe. Right. So the, the rest of the cost is, is just my time and expertise. That um, and, and I try to do a flat fee so that you know exactly what it's going to cost sure. when we get out of it. And it includes the responses to the office action. And mm-hmm. For me, I don't know how other firms do it, but I run it all the way up to the point where I have to go get a reconsideration or, a, or file an appeal, and then I'm... You know, then we're on the clock again. <laughs> okay. Hey, well, uh, in closing, give our listeners a, a little summary here, maybe two or three takeaways if they're maybe considering, uh, you know, filing for a trademark. Uh, what are the, you know, just the basic things they should be considering? Sure. Well, I think if, if your company is going to be putting any subnet, any kind of investment into the name and brand and and you're just, just logo design or anything like that, it behooves you to not go down a, a dead end, you know, to head down a path that actually has some, some room for you to grow. And that's a good time to start looking at um, whether or not it makes sense to use that mark. So there's a whole process I use to work with maybe your graphic designer and your team as you're planning on naming something or, or designing it that we can start putting some you know, checks in place. If you're already dedicated to the mark, then and you think that you're going to be expanding or something it's probably a good idea to try to go get that trademark and Mm -hmm. and protect your i mean it's an an important asset to your business if you're ever looking to sell it having a valid trademark that has some legs on it is is a really good idea all right hey well uh like we mentioned earlier uh you know if you're in a position where you're considering doing a trademark if you need some help uh you know, feel free uh, definitely to get a hold of Aaron, uh, you know, on a professional basis. Uh, he'll be, he's a great guy. And uh, as you can tell from our discussion today, very knowledgeable on the topic. Uh, and uh, thanks, Aaron, for uh, for being with us today. Hey, well, we're out of time for today. Really appreciate Aaron uh, uh, for being with us today and to discuss the trademarks. Uh, you can learn more about Aaron on our uh, guest page at clouseronbusiness.com. And uh, Aaron's uh, website is aaroncronenlaw.com and cronen spelled c-o-n-a-n so it's aaroncronenlaw.com and uh, you can contact him there and uh, we'll have his information contact information up on our website well he will uh, be sure to tell your friends about us and remind them that we're on TuneIn, itunes podbean stitcher radio and always at clouseronbusiness.com Well, all for now, you've been listening to Clouser on Business.